Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. A chapter that we're in is Psalm 73, and for those in the room that are keeping track, I did skip Psalms 72. How many of you knew that? As soon as I said Psalm 73, you thought you missed one, right? I didn't miss one. We'll deal with that, Lord willing, next week. Psalms 72, very interesting subscript at Psalms 72. Look at, look at the subscript underneath the title, Psalm 72, but above verse number 1, it says, A Psalm for Solomon. Very interesting, very interesting subscript there. A Psalm for Solomon. And what many Bible commentators believe is that Psalm 72 is David's prayer for how God will use Solomon when Solomon assumes the throne. Right? So a, 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 a psalm that is the, the prayer of a parent for their child to go after the Lord. And how many parents in the room say, that's exactly what I want for my children, right? Well, if you want some, want some good things to pray about for your children, read Psalm 72. Some wonderful things. And we'll take some time, Lord willing, next Wednesday uh, at the conclusion of our family worship nights. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But we are this evening in Psalms 73. That's where we'll begin this evening, Psalm 73, beginning that third and final book of Psalms. Psalm 73, verse number 26 I'll let you keep your seat, but you have to participate, all right? So let's read verse 26 together. Psalm 73, verse 26. Ready? Let's read. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's read that verse again. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's several things I want you to focus on in that verse. At three in particular. My heart faileth. My heart and then the last one failed. Miss Jean, I'm not for sure what's wrong with this. So give me this one. And then we'll deal with this later, okay? Here we go. My flesh, my heart, fail. First, my flesh fails. In, in, in the body of David, in some sort of physical working out, there was fatigue. There was a sense of exhaustion. There was a sense of tiredness. My, my heart fails. Which means there is some sort of emotional attack that David was going through. He was dejected in some way. He was discouraged in some way. He was uh, doubting, perhaps, in some way. He was, he was burnt out. He was uh, overwhelmed with, with these sorts of feelings of, of hurt or attack or whatever they may be. His flesh, a, a physical component to what David is experiencing. His heart, an emotional component to what David is experiencing. And then third, he failed. It faileth. My flesh, it fails. My heart, it 
fails, my flesh and my heart together, faileth me. The word fail literally means to run out of resources. It's like your life is this tank and somebody has pulled the plug at the bottom of the tank and all of the resources have run out of the bottom of the tank. So now that you go to pour some water out of it or pour some gasoline out of it, and there's nothing left because it's all run out. David says somebody has pulled the plug at the bottom of my life and it's all run out. My flesh, I'm physically tired, exhausted. I'm my heart, I'm emotionally spent, exhausted, dejected, overwhelmed by these feelings, and it's left me run out. It's left me failing, empty, alone. Literally, it is my flesh fails, where we see it as faileth, is it literally the continual sense. My flesh is continually failing me. My heart is continually failing me. There's, there's, there's no room for, for, well, maybe it fails. Maybe your flesh will fail you. That's not what David is saying. And maybe your heart will fail you. That's not what David is saying. David is saying your flesh will fail you, and your heart will fail you. Not, not maybe, not possibly this could happen to you if all the circumstances of your life didn't line up the way you thought they would. No, no, David is saying it will happen. It is actually happening to you. Your flesh is failing. Your heart is failing you. It's failing me. David says, my heart, my flesh, they're failing. And because of this, I'm discouraged. I'm despondent. I'm at my wits end. I'm doubting. I'm, I'm, I'm empty. I'm lonely. I have no answers. Look, look at verse 26. My flesh, my heart faileth. They are in the continual sense. They are failing me. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Two points. Number one, the reason why David's heart and flesh are failing him. The reason why this is happening, look at verse number one. Let's, let's just back up the first part of the chapter. How did David get in this situation? How, how did he find himself at his wit's end? Look at verse number one. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, so you, should, you should mark that phrase, but as for me. Okay, it's true. God is good. It's, it's true. Like in an overall sense, God is doing good things in the world. That's true. David affirms that. It's, it's true. God in this overall general sense is doing good things in the world. But as for me, but, but when I think of my own situation, but as for me, my feet were almost gone and my steps had well nigh slipped for I was, look at it, envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The psalmist confesses that his doubt, his despondency, his discouragement, the failing of his flesh and the failing of his heart began when he grew envious. Look, which, look here. That is almost always the case. That is almost always the case. When we are at our lowest, physically, emotionally, it is almost always the same with us that it is when we grow envy. Envy is, of course, when you want someone else's life, right? 
You want someone else's opportunities. You want someone else's talent. You want someone else's looks. You want someone else's possession. You want someone else's job. You want someone else's whatever it might be. Envy is looking at someone else and then wanting what they have. David says, I know God in a general sense is good, but as for me, my feet were slipping and I almost fell off a cliff because I looked around and I was envious at how all these wicked people and all these other people, things were going good for them, but they weren't going, wasn't going good for me. The reason for discouragement is two things. It's first, David is envy of others. In fact, this psalm gives you a very clear picture of what envy is. Envy is doubting God's goodness toward you while, while coveting what God has given to someone else. It's quite literally the, the most basic understanding of envy is going, well, God didn't give me what I thought I deserved, but God is giving him or her what they don't deserve, and I deserve that, and they deserve this. This is the most basic understanding of what envy is. Envy is a horizontal expression of a vertical problem. David is doubting that God is doing what is good and best for him, and that causes David that causes David that causes David to envy. I put those words together. That causes David to envy all these other people around him. This is how it always works. We envy others, work the, work the equation backwards. David envies others, why? Because he doubts that God is doing what's good and best for him. David is doubting that God, that God does what's good and best for him, which causes him to envy others. And when we envy others, it's because we're doubting that God is doing what is good and best for us. The same is true for you and for me. Envy has very little to, to do with the actual condition of our circumstances. Envy has everything to do with the condition of our heart. Envy has very little to do with what we actually possess and what we actually own and what we actually have and how much we've actually accumulated. Envy has very little to do with that. And envy has everything to do with, in our hearts, God isn't doing for me what I think he should, and God is doing for them what I think he shouldn't. Envy, in fact, is so pervasive in the human heart that envy can take even something as perfect as the Garden of Eden, and it can cause perfection in the Garden of Eden to seem unsatisfactory. That God is doing, God is not giving me what I think is good and best. Isn't this the root of where Eve is? God isn't giving me what I think is good and best. God is somehow withholding from me what I think I deserve. And so go and be like God and eat the fruit. Look at all these trees you have to eat, but God is withholding this one tree of which you cannot eat. I mean, you can eat of anything else, but you can't have this one. God's holding back from you what he knows is good and best. And that's why he won't let you have it. And isn't this what happens in Eve's heart? Literally in a perfect place where they run around and worship God all day, where they commune one with God and another. And even in that place, they think, well, I'm pretty sure God is holding back. You don't, if, you don't, if you don't think this is true, just try this when you get home with your kids. Line them up and tell them that you're going to give all of them a cookie. And you start handing out the cookies and watch what your children do when you hand 
their brother or sister a cookie, they immediately do this. Why'd they get a bigger one? Why'd he get two? Theirs has more chocolate chips. Mine's smaller. They got the, they got the one that was hot. I got the one that came out first, right? Any parents in the room? A test? What is this? This is envy. Someone else got something that I don't think they should have received because I should have received that, but I got this. Adam and Eve, boys and girls, and even Christian adults. What's worse for David is that David not only looks at what other people are getting and thinks they don't deserve that, I deserved it, but I'm getting this, and I don't deserve that, they deserved it. David actually says that these people are, are wicked. It actually gives a great definition of what we would understand as wicked people even today. In fact, look at verse number four. He describes them. For there are no bands in their death. But, but their strength is firm. He says, these, these wicked people who are prospering, they, they have no struggles. Their, their bodies are healthy. They're strong. They're beautiful. They get all the luxuries, all the amenities. They get the front row seats to all the big games and the events. Look at verse number five. They, they are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. They don't, they, don't, they don't go through the same struggles. They don't have the same problems. They wear designer clothes. They, they, they get the scholarship. They have the, the great and best jobs. They aren't trying to work from the bottom up. They get right into management right away. Look at verse 6. And pride uh, compasseth them, uh, them about as a chain. So, so really, David say that they're going around, they're getting all of these things, and then they're taking credit for it. They don't, they don't, it, it's as if they think the reason all this stuff is happening to me is because I'm more awesome than you. I got the promotion and the scholarship, and all, I got all of this because I'm better than you are. They seem oblivious to the reality, right, that, that, they're being promoted through and advanced because of connections, their parents are rich, whatever it may be, right? Look at verse number six, back half. Violence covereth them as a garment. Right? So their pride makes them hateful. It makes them dis disdainful. They, 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 they aren't patient or kind or compassionate to others. I mean, they genuinely think that they're better than everyone around them. And they genuinely think that they deserve all of these perks and all of these privileges because this is, this is what you're supposed to get from life. And they're getting all these perks and privileges because they've got themselves to this position in their own life. Look at verse number eight, verse number nine. They are corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Right? So, the, so they assume that whatever moves belongs to them. They assume that whatever it is that they should get it first, they should have the best, even heaven, even things above. Right? It should always go in their favor. It should always work in their way. The, the posture is one of at the top looking down, because we would never be at the, we'd never be at the bottom looking up because, because look at all my stuff. Look how I've accumulated. This is, this is a great definition of wickedness. Look at number 12. 
Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world, and they increase in riches. Now, now watch here. Before, before we get too self-righteous and we say, yeah, that's all the social elites in our day. Aren't we just like this? Like, like when, when we receive a blessing, when we receive something good, don't, don't we usually assume that we were due that blessing? Don't we usually assume that we were due that good thing? Don't, don't, and when something goes wrong, don't we usually assume things shouldn't be going wrong for me? I shouldn't be having problems. I, I, I should be getting promoted, not demoted. I, I shouldn't be having any problems in my marriage. I shouldn't have any problems with my kids. I shouldn't have any problems with my parents. I, I shouldn't be getting bad things. I should be getting good things. Aren't, aren't we just like this? Isn't, isn't this why when things are going good, we tend to pray less? And when things are going bad, we tend to pray more. Because when things are going good, we assume that we don't really need God as much. Things are going good. Things are going the way that I deserve. Things are happening the way that they should be happening for me. And then when things are going bad, why do we pray more? Because things aren't going my way. I don't deserve this. Aren't we just as guilty of thinking that when things go our way, it's because of us? And when things don't go our way, it's because somebody else is getting what we think we should have received. Can I, can I get a head nod on that at least? Like, you with me on that? So, so let's, let's, not, let's be careful of not being self-righteous, being high and mighty and thinking, yep, mm-hmm, that is exactly what the wicked are like. No, 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 that's exactly what lives in your heart, and that's exactly what lives in mine. That's, n- that's not just what the wicked are like. That's what we are like. David, David says that. In fact, look at verse number 13. Look at verse number 13 and 14. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. You want to see the important thing in that verse? It's this. Verily, I've stayed pure, done right, lived righteously, cleansed my heart. That's what that means. I've, I've obeyed the law of God. Look, in vain. I've washed my hands in innocency for all the day long. I have been plagued and chastened every morning. So the psalmist says, look at all this stuff I've done for God. Look at all these ways I've lived for God. Look at all this money I've given to the church. Look at all this service I've done. Look at all these classes I've taught. Look at all these songs I've performed. Look at all these choirs I've worked in. Look at all these sermons I've preached. Look at all of these things I've done. And surely I did it all in vain. I've tried to obey God. I've trusted God, but it's not been worth it. That's, that's literally what he just said. It's, it's been in vain. It's been empty. Vanity, vanity. Remember that word from Ecclesiastes? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Vanity literally means empty, empty. Everything around us is empty. Live for all these things, and guess what you'll find at the end? Emptiness. David says, surely going after God, living for God, serving God has produced nothing but emptiness in my own heart and life. Verse number 15, if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was painful for me. Literally, David said, now that I've expressed that, now that I've verbalized it, now that I hear how my heart is thinking, I'm really afraid to continue thinking the way that I'm thinking. This, 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 by the way, is a great point in why we should actually make verbal, audible prayers to God. 
When you make a verbal, audible prayer to God, sometimes when you hear yourself pray, it causes you to back up and go, wait, what did I just say? What just came out of my mouth? <laughs> what, what did my heart just take over and say? David said, when I heard myself speak, what's he referring to? He's referring to verse 12, verse 13. When I heard what I just said in verse 12 and 13, I, I, I was offended and I offended a generation of children at what I just said because what I said was, I did all these things for God and God hasn't given me anything back. What's the reason for David's discouragement? What's the reason for David's doubt? What's the reason for David's heart and, and flesh failing him? His envy of others, also his expectation from God. David is, David is quite literally saying, God, the reason I served you was not because you're God and I'm your servant, not because you're my father and I'm your child, not, not because you're the creator and I'm the creation. God, the reason I served you is so that you would make my life easy, that you would bring into my life blessings, and my life has been nothing but painful and hard. You brought into my life nothing but bitterness, and so my serving of you has been empty and vain. And the Spirit of God leans forward to David and says, be very careful with what you say next. Because when I heard what I said, right, that's the verse, look at it again. If I say I will speak thus, he's literally saying, for what, when I, what, well, I will speak thus is like, he's saying what I just said. So if I say what I just said, if I really think about what I just, what just came out of my mouth, Man, I should offend against a generation of thy children. And when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. What was too painful for David? Look here. What was too painful for David? The realization of what just came out of his mouth was too painful for David to think about that that was actually living in his heart. And then when he verbalized an audible prayer to God, what he said to God was, serving you was empty and vain and got me nothing. And then I look around the world and I see all these wicked people getting stuff that they don't deserve. And I keep getting stuff that I don't deserve because I deserve that and they deserve this. Are you following it? How many of you are really thankful you came to church in the middle of the week now? Like, well, wow, this is a really uplifting sermon. Don't you feel better about yourself? So what's the response? Number two, the response. So, so here comes the counterpunch, okay? My flesh, my heart, they failed me. Why were they failing David? Because of his envy for others and because he had this expectation that his service for God caused God to somehow be in his debt. So what's the counterpunch? Here's the counterpunch. Ready? Look at it again. We're the, the main verse, verse 26. Look at it. My flesh and my heart are failing me because I was envious of others, because I had this expectation from God and God didn't do what I expected God to do. But God... But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So here's this man who has the, the cork pulled out of the bottom of his life. His flesh and his heart are failing. He's completely depleted physically, emotionally. He's drained. Perhaps he's at his last breath or feels at least like he's at his last breath. And here's what he says. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
What happens in the moment when you feel betrayed? What happens in the moment when you feel taken advantage of? What happens in the moment when you feel overwhelmed with discouragement, doubt? What happens in the moment when you feel like life just hit rock bottom? What happens in the moment when all these structures that were holding you up start to crumble one by one and your parents fail you and your kids fail you and your friends fail you and the pastors fail you and the churches fail you? What happens when all these things that you thought were propping your life up start to crumble one by one because they will. What do you do? You go, well, my flesh and my heart, they failed me. They're constantly, continually failing me, creating this sense of discouragement and doubt. And it caused me to be envious of others and have this expectation of God that God should give me something that I deserve because I served him. I tithed. And I went to church. And I, and I was faithful three days a week. And I, I was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And I went to family worship services. And I sang in the choir. And doesn't God owe me something back for all the stuff that I did? Or was all that empty and in vain? Was God just useful? Or was I going after God because God was beautiful in and of himself for who he is? You see, what, what David sees in his heart is he was only going after God because God was useful to him. And the minute God was not doing in David's heart and life what David thought God should be doing, and David goes, my, my flesh and my heart fail me. So the counterpunch back is, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Verse 28, but it is good for me to draw near to God. And I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare his works. God is our strength. God is our portion. God will sustain. Look here. God will be enough. The inheritance is an incorruptible one which fades not away, cannot be stolen. Thieves can't break through and Steal, and though the outward man perishes day by day, though it gets a little harder to get out of bed every single day, and while it feels a little more monotonous to go back to the office every single day, and while the heart is broken because of this relationship that you encounter every single day, it was just saying, God is enough for me. I can deal with this because God is my portion and God is my strength. The job wasn't my portion. The, the money wasn't my strength. The relationship wasn't my life. The, the marriage wasn't my life. That wasn't it. God was my strength and portion and life. I pursued him. We've done this over and over, but what do you, what do you have? What do you have in your life that you can't lose by the end of the night tonight? What do, you, what do you have in your life that cannot be taken away from you before the day's end? We, we, all know, we all know enough people to know your health could be gone that fast. One diagnosis, one word, cancer, and it's all the strength, all the vitality, all the energy. It's all gone, just one word. What do you have that you can't lose? Well, well I have this love relationship. We, we're, we're mature adults in the room. We all know, oh, love is a, it's a funny thing, isn't it? And there's no relationship immune. I mean, the, the, the devil is, is wily. He's, a, he's an adversary like this roaring lion. And he can devour even the best marriages, and he has. Well, I got my, I got my kids. 
I got my parents. I got my brothers, sisters. Friends. I got all of them. But we've all lived long enough to know there's, there's absolutely nothing we have that we cannot lose by the end of the day except one thing. And that is our relationship with God. You can lose it all, but you won't lose him. Because no man plucks you out of my father's hand. You're safe right here. And so David, that's, what, that's the counterpunch back from David. My flesh, my heart fail. And they are in a continual sense of failing me. And if you in the room, have, if your heart hasn't failed you, if your emotions haven't caved yet, if your flesh hasn't given way yet, just hold on, it will. Just sit tight, it will. And when it, when it does, what will the counterpunch be? Oh, but God is my portion and my strength. A God will be enough. Look at verse 17, 18, 19, 20. Until I went up into the sanctuary of God, and then understood I their end. For surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. Oh, how they are brought into desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awaketh. So, O oh Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Look, look, look. Here, here's what David just did. David just, like in line with other scriptures, just depicted life as this dream. It's a vapor. It's here for this long and then gone. Life is brief. Life is short. When, when you have a dream, it might seem real. How many of you are vivid dreamers? Let me see. When you, when you dream, you wake up in a bad mood, depending on the dream you had, right? I'm a vivid dreamer. When I have, I, like, when I have a dream at night, it affects me in the day. I'm like, I'll wake up, I'm mad at Amanda. She's like, what are you grumpy for? Like, you were, you were mean to me in my dream. So like, well, that wasn't me. I'm like, yes, it was. It was you in my dream. You're like, that was a projection. That was not me. I was asleep. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm still grumpy about it, at least for a few hours. And David is saying, a dream may seem real. It might seem vivid, but it's not real. This, this, is a, this is a dream. And then in a, in a moment, in a moment, you wake up, and when you wake up, you are in the presence of God for all of eternity. You want to know what reality is? Reality is being in the presence of God. You want to know what a dream is? A dream is this. Thinking that this matters, that this counts. This is, this is a vapor that appears for just a little while and vanisheth away. And you see this all the way throughout the New Testament. So lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. How foolish is it to store up for ourselves treasures on this earth where somebody will steal it away or where somebody will rot or where it will rust or where in the end it gets sold in the yard sale for about an eighth of what we just paid for it. Why live for this? This is a dream. Why not live for the greater reality, which is what? Eternity with God. That's what. Why not live for something that far exceeds, man, the short dream of this life? And then David says, for those who are outside of God, death will be this awakening for them. That's what Paul says. Paul says, this corruption must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. 
So the dream of life awakens in the end, and it either becomes eternal life with God in heaven, safe, secure in eternity, or it becomes the eternal nightmare spent in hell apart from God. And David says, and the wicked, their destruction is sooner than they think it is. You either wake up out of the dream in the presence of God, or you wake up out of the dream in the worst reality of them all, that you're separated from God in a place called hell. For the believers then, all the pain that they go through in this life may seem meaningless, because compared to the joy that they will experience one minute in eternity. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans 8, 18? For, for when I reckon the sufferings of this life, they are not compared to the glories that are to come. And I just, I just think about like what I have to go through in this life, living for Jesus, serving him, following him. Whatever pain, whatever suffering comes in this life, when I think about and just 75 years maybe on this earth. We've done this. Like, we've done far more funerals for people under the age of 75 than over. But you maybe get 75 years in this life. And if you do, praise the Lord. But in the end, if I have to experience some pain, some heartbreak here, I'd rather stay faithful to him because what is that pain and sorrow here compared to the glory in eternity with him forever? It's like hearing that you had an uncle that you didn't know who died and left you millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. And all you had to do to claim the inheritance was drive to the bank and sign and collect. So you get in your broke down Honda Civic, no air conditioning, tour seats, the fallen roof, the worn handlebars, the radio that doesn't work. You back out of your driveway. It's popping and smoking. Your neighbors are looking. You're just waving. Why? Because you're going to the bank to collect millions upon millions of dollars. You get about a half mile from the bank and you're 1997, what used to be blue Honda Civic, gives up the ghost right in the middle of the 405. Get out, close the door, throw the keys in, say farewell. Everybody's honking. You're just skipping down the 405, headed to the bank. Just leave the car. Who cares? Millions and millions. All I got to do is get to the bank and sign. How many of you know that last half mile walk to the bank to sign and collect millions and millions and millions of dollars is the best walk you've ever had in your life? <clears throat> you left your car back there. You can have it. It's yours. I don't care about it. Why? Because there is an inheritance awaiting you that causes that to mean nothing. 
That is the believer's walk. That is the believer's punch back. That's the counterpunch to all the feelings of frustration and discouragement and doubt. And all oh, my flesh and my heart, they fail and they fail all the time. But God is my strength. It's a Honda Civic in the middle of the 405. You can keep it as I'm going to the bank. And that's what it means to walk in joy for the believer. David says, my body is shot, my heart is gone, my feelings are emptied, my emotions are wasted, but I will not surrender, I will not retreat, I will not give in, I will resist because God is my strength. My trust is in him. Simple question then. What's your strength tonight? What's your portion? I mean, what is it where all the hope and all the trust and all the thoughtfulness of future and all the, where is it being placed? What's propping it up? What's holding it in? All oh, that all of us would be able to say, my hope and strength is in the Lord. My trust is in God. He is my strength. If I get him, I get enough. He's enough.